Good morning, Grace, and happy Thanksgiving. And Merry Christmas. Amen. Glad you guys are here. Uh, since 2003, on this weekend after Thanksgiving, I've been preaching a communion Lord's Supper sermon, so uh, that's what we're doing today uh, before Pastor Benji gets back next week and starts our new series. But in that mind, let's take a moment and pray. Lord Almighty, thank you for this opportunity to come before your word, and thank you that we get to come before your table. Let us remember how much it cost you to set it for us so that we will receive it in joy and rejoice because you are the God who serves. You are the God who waits on your servants. Lord, I pray that today we would respond with joy and thanksgiving for your glory, for our joy, and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Of the many grave dangers that face our nation today, one of the greatest dangers that faces the U.S. is this idea that I need to serve God. The idea that I need to help God out. That to however small a degree, whether or not I do my part... That will ensure that we will make America great again, or we will help someone achieve the American dream, or whatever other nonsense that we have about our perfect world scenario. I too have been guilty of believing this lie. When I was in my early 20s, I remember I went up to an older man at the church and I said, wouldn't it be great if Bill Gates and Michael Eisner became Christians? Fortunately, my friend responded, yes, God could do a lot for them. You see, the CEO of Microsoft and Disney, and even the President of the United States, stand in far, infinitely far greater need of God to serve them than anything that they could do to further God's kingdom. You. Me, we stand in infinitely greater need of the Spirit to come and serve us than anything I can do of my own strength to further God's kingdom. The gospel is not a help wanted ad, it is a help available ad. God is looking for people to work for Him, not looking for people to work for Him, but people who will let Him work mightily in and through us. You must not serve Jesus. Before I start today's sermon, I want to give a word of caution. The sermon I'm about to preach is aimed at believers. If you are one who has already trusted the promises of God for you in Christ, then this sermon aims to increase your trust in those promises so that you will live for His glory and therefore your joy will increase. 
Now, I want to do this by helping you and I to see why we take the Lord's Supper. I want us to see how this is related to what Jesus did nearly 2,000 years ago. Then, I want us to see the connection that the Lord's Supper has to do with what we are beginning again this week, and that is celebrating the Advent season. Why is it that the bread and cup that we celebrate with once a month, and why is it that we remember Christ's birth once a year, why is it and how are these two events intimately related? And I'll give you a hint. You and I are so much in the world, and the world is so much in us that we need to be constantly reminded to remember Jesus. Now, if you're a non-Christian here, welcome. I am very glad you're here. And I believe that you can also get something out of this morning. Namely, what it is that we Christians find as crucial, absolutely significant to in what we believe, what we hold most dear. And the bottom line of all this, what I want you to remember after you go home and eat your lunch and the tryptophan causes your brain cells to hibernate all of this morning away is a very simple truth. But a truth that I think is going to be very scandalous to the vast majority of American evangelicals. Don't serve Jesus. Let's look at our text before us. We're in today math or excuse me, Luke 22. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, "I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God." And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, "Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my bud. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is on the table with me. For the Son of Man goes, it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Passover was the most important holiday for Israel. Imagine if you could roll Christmas, Easter, and Thanksgiving all into one holiday, and then you can have everybody celebrating it with the gusto that we celebrate the 4th of July, then you will have an idea of how important Passover was to them. Now, imagine that this feast hadn't been celebrated for the last 200 years. Imagine it had been celebrated for the last almost 1,500 years. And this is the day that we come to in this text. This is the holiday. This is the feast that Jesus brings his personal friends with together so that he can celebrate on the night before he offered himself as 
the ultimate sacrifice to bring His people to Himself. Look with me at verse 15. Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now in these two verses, there are four very important truths we have to get as kind of a foundation, as a background so that we can understand what is going on in the, past, in the communion. The first point is that I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover. If you are to understand what it is we do once a month, if you were to capture the big idea of what's going on, then you need to understand that this meal we're reading about in Luke 22 is the last Passover of the Old Covenant, of the way things were run. But it is at the same time the first communion, the first Lord's Supper of the New Covenant. As the divine human, Jesus had probably eaten more than 30 Passovers in his life. But he was particularly interested in this one because he knew how important it was. Now, the Passover was the great act of redemption in the Old Testament. Just as the cross is the great act of the New Testament and then all of history. Now, it should not surprise us then that Jesus takes and ties these two acts of redemption together. Now, remember, in his act of buying his people out of slavery, that's what it means to redeem, to buy someone out of slavery, God first buying them out of slavery to the Egyptians, then buying us out of slavery to our sins at the cross, we see that redemption is the great need of every single person everywhere and every when. And Jesus knew that this act of redemption was going to cost Him dearly. Nevertheless, Jesus longed to eat this Passover. He longed to impart to His people, in fact, to you and me, what it is that he was going to do the next day. Communion, this meal that we eat, our monthly celebration of the Lord's Supper, like Passover, is all about Jesus serving us. Eating the bread, drinking the cup, is you and me receiving the gift, the grace of redemption that began 3,500 years ago or so at the first Passover. But he continues, he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Now, what's great about this is Jesus loves his people. Jesus loves his disciples. Now, how many of you are surprised by that? Okay, not many. It seems obvious to say that Jesus loves us, right? But look, Jesus loves Peter, who in a matter of hours is going to deny him three times. One of them in front of a servant girl. I mean, how cowardly can you get? 
and Jesus is loving the rest of the 12 who are there, even though he knew that every single one of them was going to abandon him in his hour of greatest need. When you eat communion, Jesus loves you. He loves you even though He knows that you trifle with Him. That you push Him aside. That you make your time for Him smaller and smaller and smaller than whatever TV show or video games or whatever it is your soul cancer is. Make no mistake. Jesus serves you at the Lord's Supper even though He knows you will fail. You will deny. You will even abandon Him again. Perhaps even before you leave this room. When you sit down and receive the Lord's Supper from your deacons, you are not being served primarily by us. You are being served by your Lord, the King of Kings and the President of Presidents. So don't bother trying to impress anybody by serving the Lord. Don't serve Jesus. Instead, Receive. Be blessed. Allow your heart and mind to be encouraged by the Messiah dressed in a towel, wiping the dirt from your hands and your feet and your soul. Jesus continues, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, before I suffer was a very common element in Jesus' teaching. It was just as common as the missing the point that the disciples did every time He said it. Again and again, Jesus told His disciples that He was not yet the conquering King, but instead was the suffering Messiah, the suffering Servant. And perhaps the most important reason why he said again and again, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to my death, I'm going to my cross, was to give you hope. God the Son wants His people to hope. God the Son wants His people to know that the crucifixion is not God the Father's plan B. God the Son wants God the Father's people to know that God the Spirit is in us to give us hope. And He laid down His life so that He could take Him up again as our most significant servant ever. And hope is what motivates a proper love for and trust in Jesus Christ and His promises to us. Hope that He is coming again quickens this meal with a spirit of trust and love. Hope that Christ will serve us again and that we will rejoice in God Himself instead of all the distractions that we love today, including the distraction of being so busy that we forget receive and hope and hope is exactly what Jesus gives us right here in this passage verse 16 he tells us I will never eat this Passover again until the kingdom of God comes 
Again, let me give a little bit of history. The Passover was the act of redemption, the redemptive act in the Old Testament, just like the cross is the redemptive act in all of history. And to redeem is to buy back from slavery. Israel was redeemed when it was brought out of slavery to Egypt. And Moses and the prophets understood how this physical exodus, this physical delivery from slavery, symbolized the spiritual sense of redemption that we have to our sins. Which, by the way, is exactly what the cross did for every single man, woman, and child who would ever trust God's promises. And to put it mildly, Jesus was not unconscious of this connection. Instead, he points to the cross that's going to happen tomorrow by pointing at it through the Passover that happened 1,500 years previously. And he ties the two greatest feasts the two greatest holidays of redemption with the redemption feast that is still to come. When the kingdom of God comes in fullness and we celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. And make no mistake, there will be no mayonnaise and there will be no shrimp at that feast. But there's going to be plenty of tri-tip and Donna's pumpkin crumble and blueberry pie. And when we look at this feast that is still to come to us, this marriage supper of the Lamb, we find in Luke chapter 12 an unexpected light, an, an unexpected revelation of what's going to happen on that day. In verse 37, Jesus declares that He will wait, He will serve those who have waited patiently for Him. Now, come on, of all the unbelievable things in the Bible, you expect us to believe this? What kind of conquering king puts on a towel and serves his servants? Well, the kind of king who wore a towel and washed his servants' feet at the Last Supper Oh, and the kind of king who came and served Moses and all the elders of Israel right after that first Passover. And, oh, the coming conquering king who commanded us to do the same thing. Let me ask you an important question. Did you think there would ever be a time when you didn't need Jesus to serve you? As you approach communion, as you come to this table, ask yourself this question. Do I come to the Lord's table with the idea that I'm good enough? Or at least... I'm better than that guy over there. Did you think there would ever be a time when you did not need Jesus to serve you? Do you take communion because it's something that we do once a month? You put up with the so-called bread 
you drink warmish grape juice. Now, if that's true, come on Sunday evenings because when we celebrate there, we use matzos. It's really good. But above all, don't serve Jesus. Don't serve Jesus so that Jesus can serve you. Now, at this point, I need to switch gears. And I need to move from the background that we have been doing here and get to the main point. Get to what is going on at this dinner. Everything I've said so far and much, much more was understood intimately by everyone in that room. But we don't necessarily know it. Now we need to talk about the main thing. You see, the Lord's Supper is first and foremost the great comment on what Jesus' work on the cross means. At this meal, Jesus takes the primary event of the redemption in the Old Testament, the Exodus and the Passover meal that celebrates it, and He slightly alters it. He changes it just a bit. You see, for almost 1,500 years and celebrated thousands of times each one of those years, no one in the history of Israel had ever said the words that Jesus is about to say. Verse 19. He took bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it and He gave it to them saying, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now I want to clear something up really quick. Jesus is not a loaf of bread. Jesus was standing or sitting in front of 12 fully conscious, thoughtful adults, none of whom looked at Jesus and saw baked flour. So we, we need to get rid of that. But nevertheless, these are the words that Jesus used, and so we need to come to terms with them. And these words are meant to draw our attention to Isaiah 53. When Jesus says that the bread is his body and the blood, the cup is his blood, he is identifying with the two constituent parts of every temple sacrifice that's made every single day, but most especially on Passover, the day that they are celebrating right then. And they knew, even if it didn't register until later, they knew that Jesus was calling Himself the sacrifice that they had just finished eating. I am Jesus is saying, the real covenant sacrifice. Listen to a small portion of Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, 
I am healed. My friends, Isaiah 53 is why you take this bread. Everything that countless rams and lambs and bulls and goats could not do for the countless believers who offered them, Jesus did for us. For my transgressions. For my iniquities. Jesus gave His body and blood as a sacrifice that establishes peace. Jesus gave His body as our propitiation. That is why you must not serve Jesus. Because Jesus served you. Don't serve Jesus. Now I keep saying this, and I bet at least one of you is thinking to yourself right now, wait, 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 Greg. The Bible tells us to serve the Lord, doesn't it? I am called to serve God. Yes, you are. And I put some scripture verses in your sermon questions on the note that each of you got with your bulletin. And I encourage you to go and wrestle with those verses this afternoon because it will help you see more clearly what it does and what it does not mean to serve the Lord. But here's the point I want for you and me today. Don't serve Jesus because the work is done. The sacrifice is made. The meal is purchased. Don't serve Jesus because He has served you and you must receive. Receive the bread. Receive the cup. Receive the grace of God that purchased all the promises of God for you in Christ. As you take part in this celebration in a minute, you're not doing it to impress anybody. You're doing it to say, yes, Lord. I am yours. You must not serve Jesus because He has turned away God's wrath for all who would trust His promises. And therefore, your service, what it is you are to do to serve God, is trust. Here's how the psalmist communicates this crucial truth I'm trying to get to us today. He writes in Psalm 116, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? What shall I do to serve the Lord? Because He has been so gracious to me, how am I going to serve Him? Verse 13, I will lift the cup of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. You know what this means? This means two things. It means number one, praise you Jesus. You are the one who filled this, salv- this cup of salvation for me. And the second thing it means is exactly what it means when you're sitting at a restaurant and the wait- waitress comes by and she says, you want some more coffee? So you pick up your cup and say, can I have some more coffee please? Do you want some more blessing? Yes, Lord. May I have some more blessing? What is that action doing? That action is saying, Lord, I receive it. I can't come up with it on myself. All of my righteous acts are good and necessary when done with the right attitude. The attitude of saying, yes, Lord, can I have some more, please? Now the cup. The cup that we drink 
here is a crucial element to what we're doing. The cup is the direct down payment that these promises are for you. That Isaiah 53 is for you. Verse 20. Likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What is this new covenant? What is Jesus talking about? Well, Jeremiah tells us, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt, tying the Passover, the great act of redemption of the Old Testament, with the new covenant, the Lord's Supper. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. You want a list of promises from God to you in Christ, there you go. You got eight of them. And all of God's promises, Paul declares, are yes in Jesus. And why are they yes in Jesus? Because Jesus says, this is my blood. This is my blood of the new covenant spilled for you. None of these promises are fully ours yet, are they? But God the Spirit is our down payment. He is the earnest money that God the Father is serious that they in fact are ours so that because God the Son purchased them with His blood. Now again, I think there's probably some people in this room who are thinking, Ah, eight promises, they don't really mean very much to me. Eh, they would take them or leave them. If that's true, non-believer, non-Christian, I want to say something to you. You need to call upon the name of the Lord and ask Him to forgive you and to give you the grace to long for these promises just as Jesus longed for the dinner that would inaugurate them. And Christian, if you're saying to yourself, oh God, I wish they were more important to me, then cling to Him. Say, Lord, forgive me for not clinging to these promises and give me a heart that longs to glorify You by believing these promises for me. But one more thing needs to be said about this cup, about the cup that we're about to have. This cup communicates two things that we often miss. We need to ask the question, what cup is Jesus talking about? I'm talking about the one that was on the table. What biblical cup is He talking about? Of the many verses we could look at, Psalm 75. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and He pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it drown to its dregs. Sin must ultimately 
be destroyed. And God will pour the cup of His wrath on all sin. Everywhere. And if that sin is still accounted to you when He pours that wrath out, you will be destroyed forever, separated from Him in hell. If, however, you have said, Lord Jesus, let me take part in Your promises. Then when God poured out that wrath, He did it on Christ who is assuming your sin so that you never need to experience the wrath of God. And we know exactly that this is what's going on because a couple of chapters later in the garden, Jesus begs the Father to take this cup from Him. He doesn't want it. But He takes it for everyone who would trust His promises. And God takes it out of our hand, this cup, so that we are not forced to drink its dregs. Thus says the Lord, the Lord, your God who pleads the cause of His people, behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. The wrath of God against your sin and against the sin of all who would trust His promises is poured out. It is no more. You you no longer bear the hatred of God against the sin that keeps His people from Him. Your sin, my sin, puts you and me in the category of human beings who are in desperate need of a Savior. You are sick. And you need a doctor. In fact, that's part of what makes the good news so glorious. John Piper says, The difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you in his service unless you are healthy, and Jesus won't enlist you unless you are sick. Are you sick? Are you in desperate need of a Savior? Do you need the prescription of the great physician for all that ails you? Here it is. Now don't misunderstand me. Taking this bread and taking this cup does not save anyone. But what it does, when you take it in faith, when you take it trusting the promises of God for you in Christ, what it does is it shows that you are serious like the psalmist. Yes, Lord, I need more. And the Lord will never turn away anyone who asks Him. Advent, this particular time of year, is the evidence that you and I are sick. We are finite. We are sinful, poor people that can experience God's grace. Communion, then, this time of month, is evidence to you and me that we have access to the medicine we so desperately need. As you partake in just a couple of minutes, allow your soul to be served by the great God who came and brought us the salvation that you and I so desperately need. Don't serve Jesus. Receive His service to you. Let's pray. Lord, we are about to celebrate at the Lord's table and we... 
receive the grace that You have poured out upon us instead of the wrath of God against our sin. I pray that this morning we will be served by the God who loves us and who will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, enable us this morning to hear what You have to say, what You have to serve for us so that we will be the men and women of God You have created us to be.